Hello everybody, today in studio we are joined by Dale Udelman. In this episode, we discuss his journey towards photography, his growth within the photographic medium, and his Ernest Cole award-winning photo series, Life Under Democracy. We've split this episode into two parts, so please listen to this first episode. It's very interesting, a lot of information is, is discussed and imparted. So grab a cup of coffee and join the conversation. You're listening to Orms Air, the Orms podcast, an open space where we discuss everything photographic and invite you to step inside our world of photography. For over 20 years, Orms has been the creative's go-to for all things photographic. From the best gear to breathtaking display options, visit ormsdirect.co.za for everything you need. Let's get chatting with Dion Yubab and Rachel Reeves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Orms Air, the Orms podcast. In studio today, we are joined by inaugural Ernest Cole Prize winner and documentary photographer, Dale Yudelman. Let's get chatting and find out more. Can <laughs> I refer to you as a documentary photographer? Would you, is there another description you would prefer to have? Because I was looking through your website and there's no, like, there's no sort of definition of you well, as a I'm photographer. I'm glad you picked that up. Yeah. But I, I sometimes refer to myself as a recovering photojournalist. Okay. And I guess that goes back to my early days of photography when yeah. I started. that was your start. It was really my start, although the start was actually earlier than that. Yeah. Uh, because I was introduced to photography when I was around nine or ten. Okay. My father at the time was a dentist in Johannesburg. Yeah. And he did photography as a hobby. It was his passion. And he used my bedroom as his darkroom. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so you sort of lived within yeah, so, that world. So I remember quite clearly how he would maybe twice or three times a month would turn my bedroom into his darkroom. Mm. I would go and sleep in his bed. And then when he had finished uh, printing all his work, he would yeah. then carry me to the bed. And I guess all those fumes yeah. from, from all the chemicals seeped into my bloodstream at an early age. So it's quite literally in your blood. So it's definitely in my blood. That's amazing. Did you, um, so growing up, I can imagine growing up in a household like that, did you sort of see what he was doing? Did you, did you question it a lot? Did he sort of take you under his wing and show you how it was done? Or was it more of a, a natural sort of process where you, your interest was sparked, your creativity was sparked, and you just sort of, it wasn't even a question. That was what you were going to sort of I think it, I think it doing. was all of that. Yeah. Uh, seeing him working on photography and seeing all this magic happening yeah. in the darkroom, it certainly caught my curiosity and uh, he encouraged me quite a lot mm. as well, Yeah. obviously. Um, yeah, and from there it was going along with him to the Camera Club of Johannesburg, okay, where yeah. he was a member and a long-time member for, for many years. He was actually the chairman for a number of years as well. Mm. So they would have the meetings once a month at the old library in Johannesburg, yeah. downtown Joburg. And that was just a thrilling night to go out and yeah, meet other imagine. photographers and show your work and get feedback. So that yeah. was really the early days for me of my introduction into photography and being surrounded by some really talented people. And that you said that was from age nine? No, that was a little bit later. Okay, I yeah. guess I was going along to the camera club meetings when I was about 13 or 14. Okay. So essentially you've, you've been exposed to photography your entire life. Yeah, that you, sort could, of creative you could say that. 
Yeah. That's incredible. So that sort of creative output, it's always just been a natural, like photography, is it? It's I, not. I can't think of, I yeah. think at one point I wanted to be a fireman. Okay, yeah. But uh, eventually it was photography at, at 14. Yeah. I, I knew that was my destiny. And, and I started, in fact, losing interest in school because all I wanted to do was yeah. photography. But I did it through school and mm. I think in, early on, with the help of my father and encouragement from the rest of the camera club, I grew pretty quickly for that age and yeah. started winning all these school competitions. So my head got very big at a young age. <laughs> and I kind of knew that this is where, you know, this is where I was going to be heading for yeah. the rest of my life. But from there, it took a lot of different yeah, no, twists can, and turns. I can imagine. And uh, this is where we are today. So what, um, so you knew that that's what you wanted to do. You had a clear idea and outline of where you wanted to be. But what did that look like? You know, because, I mean, as a 14-year-old, you sort of see adulthood as this far away thing. Like, did you have a clear picture of what it would be like to be a professional photographer or no, no, have that as your career? No, so it was just sort of I like I had no a, idea about where it was going to go, what, yeah, it was gonna, what okay. I was going to photograph. But it, that was part of the journey was yeah. uh, doing it for fun at school photographing what I wanted to. Mm. Um, after school, I started assisting different advertising photographers because obviously through the camera club and yeah. my father's connections, there were, there were photographers that that I got to meet and yeah. my dad obviously organized um, some of the work mm -hmm. that, that, I, that I was given. It was all non-paying, but I, I spent about a year assisting different photographers and I kind of yeah. knew then that uh, it wasn't really my thing being in a studio. Yeah. So it was just going through those steps of working in, in that particular field that I decided, well, not really what I want to do, but I still yeah. love photography and what else is out there. And that's when the opportunity came to join the Star newspaper when I was 19. Jeez. So that's straight out of school? Pretty much. Did you did you have any? Was there any time in there where you had? I mean, you did You said you did photography at school. Yes. Was it sort of a subject? Was there technical no, training, or did no, you just there was no pick subjects. it up? There were very few. Even as a college or a university mm. or anything like Michaelis, there was nothing like that mm. back then. And I just figured it out as I went along. Everything was learned through through doing and through. The various so photographers that I that I uh, met up with. Yeah. So I mean, I, I suppose you could you could turn that around and say you sort of you sort of were a um, a student of the school of life. I mean, if you were given that that access to a group of photographers who are so passionate, who most of them were professional. I'm assuming, like they had the access, they were able to impart their knowledge. Yeah. So you did get the you got the technical training from experience. Instead just, of just from doing yeah. and, and feedback on the work, because that okay. was part of the camera club yeah. idea was that you you start off in like a, a beginner's section mm -hmm. and you every month you put up images and then you get judged and the judges will sometimes tell you like where you went wrong or where you went right. So you got actual critiques. So you, yes, you're getting yeah. critiqued all the time, which is very helpful. And yeah. obviously I had my dad as a you know, full-time critique or yeah, of course. encouragement as well. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, it was also encouragement that kind of helped you move along. 
get that sort so, of... So um, a lot of the people at the camera clubs, there were some professional people doing it as a, as a business, mm -hmm. but there were quite a few that were just there purely out, as, out of the love of the, the craft yeah. and, and just a sort of part-time yeah. get away from their, their children a couple of times a month. <laughs> I can imagine a nice little break away from, from the realities of home. Um, but that's, I mean, it's very interesting that you say that because in our first episode, we had a, um, a discussion, actually Jess brought it up about, was it Martin Scorsese, who sort of um, referenced his, his love and his passion for the art of filmmaking. He was saying that his sort of visual literacy that he was exposed to at such a young age, like he was given a lot of um, great sort of film content to view and that sort of affected the way that he went on to create you know his sort of life's work and I, I feel like it's the same sort of beginning for you like you're you're exposed to this and if that's the the part of you that's nurtured and focused on it sort of just it becomes a natural sort of yeah progression. It, feel, it feels like it is a natural yeah besides the camera club and and you know my dad's mm. involvement he also was an avid book collector Okay, yeah. So at that time, you know, there was no obviously no internet and yeah. no TV yeah, yeah, yeah. and anything like that. So a lot of the his inspiration and just connecting with photography came through incredible books okay, that, yeah. that we still have today, some of the greats of photography of that time. Yeah. So there were those books that were very helpful mm -hmm. and inspiring. Uh, there was a, the magazines you used to get, like National Geographic, mm -hmm. So there, there was a lot of... Uh, that sort of nourishment, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of that. That's great. I mean, it's like it's a, I think it's a, it's a real position of, like I suppose we would, we would refer to it as privilege now, where you are, you know, encouraged to do that and that is nurtured within you. I mean, I feel the same about me with my parents, like very, very much into books and reading and writing and that sort of thing. And that's where I, what I love, absolutely. Right. It's really nice to have grown up in that sort of environment, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most important things is mm. the nurturing. Um, my late mom as well was also mm. a very creative person and also quite positive yeah. about you know what I was doing. And it's always lovely for the children to follow in their parents' no, footsteps. So my middle brother became a dentist like my father. Oh, yeah? Okay. And my youngest brother who lives in Sydney also did... We all did photography, yeah. actually. So there was... That connection. In fact, we had a group show of Polaroids together at the Market Theatre in, I think it was 1983 or four, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Where all of us showed uh, photographs together. Oh, that's so it incredible. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And did your was your dad a part of the exhibition as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It was him and the three brothers. That's amazing. I, mean, I have a very nice post at home that belonged to that yeah. show. Okay. I must, I will definitely be sure to link that in the show notes. I'll find some background info on it. So we've spoken about your beginnings uh, with um, discovering photography and sort of being nurtured into it. But where did you, um, where did you experience the, the sort of growth towards wanting to be a professional photographer or seeing it as a reality or something that you could reach? Was it through the sort of feedback that you got from the photography club or... Was it a mixture of like school feedback and photography club feedback and then obviously encouragement through your family? Yeah, all that stuff that we spoke about, yeah, yeah, yeah. getting up to the age of 19, mm. 
this opportunity arrived to to join the star as a junior photographer mm -hmm. but by that point i'd already developed a portfolio you know having been photographing for yeah already five years and getting good instruction mm -hmm. uh, the star took me on as a junior photographer and i worked for one of their sort of local neighborhood papers just to get, get into the swing of things yeah. and from there the following year i was promoted to what you call the star photographer for the main newspaper. Okay, yeah. So I was really just thrown into the, the you could say the deep end of yeah. photojournalism, learning as I went along, because my background was more creative in a way. And it'll always yeah. kind of be from that space where photojournalism was interesting, but I was always looking for a different way to to capture the image. Obviously when it came to hard news. Yeah. The most important thing was to to get get the moments and yeah. tell the story. Yeah. But in most other situations, that I was always looking for a more interesting way to photograph things. So, yeah. in in the newspaper world, a lot of it's not just hard news, but there's a lot of other things that you have to actually photograph, even though you don't want to, whether it's sport or yeah. um, sort of documentary style, more in depth type of stories, mm -hmm. portraiture, even setting up images where you have to illustrate something yeah um, yeah so there's the the experience was was incredible and i yeah. kind of wished for better no i mean i can imagine you essentially are just like you said thrown in the deep end which is i suppose the best way because you either you sort of figure out if you're going to sink or swim yeah and then just work out how you keep swimming i suppose so i think that that was from the beginnings of being at the Star, yeah, I was there for six years. Obviously, the country was in turmoil politically. Yeah, this was what year was this? Uh, this was 1979 to 1986. Okay, yeah, so right in the middle. Um, of I'm it. not going to go into all the details, yeah. but in 1986, the state of emergency was implemented, mm -hmm. and I've got, in fact, a picture where these cops had surrounded me and were pointing their finger at me. Mm. It was probably the last picture that I had taken and that was published. I decided to leave South Africa yeah. and ended up going to London where I started freelancing for various newspapers. Yeah. And after that, went on to LA mm -hmm. and spent the next 10 years also freelancing in the beginning yeah. for newspapers and then doing more editorial and design type work. Mm. So can I go back to the, the last photo that you took before you left South Africa? Was that, I mean, I feel like that's quite a, a quite a visual representation of what was going on um, with muting, not muting, um, what is the word that I'm censorship. looking for? Thank you, censorship. It, within the country, I mean, I suppose, was that the main, was that the reason that you left? Because of the censorship? It was one of the, one of the reasons. It was yeah. getting more and more difficult to, to photograph. Yeah. And even though I was committed to what I was doing, I just f felt like I needed to get out and yeah, no, explore totally. the rest of the world and not just get caught up in this yeah. this mess. Um, obviously, yeah. there were a lot of other photographers that I know from the time stayed on and they carried on doing that. But I was always one to explore different things and try yeah, new completely. things. Uh, music was a big passion of mine. So yeah. London and the States was definitely yeah, especially at that time a dream to to go and explore. Oh, yeah, and, I can imagine. Uh, it was a it was a great decision. 
Can I just circle back to, um, I wanted to talk about gear. So your current camera bag, what is in your camera bag at the moment? Well, my camera bag, where is my camera bag? It's behind you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you, you, you could say it's a camera bag, it's not really a camera bag. Mm. Uh, what's in there is a Fuji X100S, mm -hmm. okay. which is the sort of rangefinder version of the Fuji fixed lens 35mm. Yeah. And it's a lovely camera. I've had that for, I would say, three years. I had okay. one exactly the same that got stolen oh. in Church Street. Oh, okay. I just got caught unawares, yeah. unfortunately, but I replaced it straight away. Mm. And that goes with me wherever I go. Yeah. And obviously I've got my other camera in my pocket, which is my phone. Yes, yes, of course. Why the specific camera? This, that's a good question. Well, it, it's a, almost a throwback to my early days of mm. photojournalism where I used the STARS equipment, which mm -hmm. was SLRs, but I also had my own Leica M4P, oh, wow, okay. which was a, I still have it, which yeah. is a fantastic film camera. And this Fuji is almost a, look, it, it has that same feel about yeah. it. It's a rangefinder, it's quite small, uh, the quality is superb. Yeah. And I've always been one for using small cameras because a lot of my focus even in my personal work, is, is, is street stuff. Mm -hmm. And I always find that it's better to work with a smaller camera, yeah. which, which helps with connecting with people and not being so yeah. in your face. With Less in person, completely. Um, but I mean, and that's also, I feel, why you, know, you referred to your phone as your camera in your pocket. Yes. It does, it allows that closeness. And I think we are so used to having um, phones on our faces completely. Like now, I mean, now we're very used to having smartphones just like whipped out and everyone sort of does it all the time, constantly. Yeah. Um, but just talking about equipment, yes, you know, yeah. through, through the years of doing a little bit of advertising work, um, I kind of use equipment where it's necessary. So, for instance, I'm not writing off the larger yeah. cameras. You know, I have some fantastic... Uh, SLRs, also film cameras like contacts with Zeiss mm. lenses. Uh, every every camera, every piece of equipment has its place. Yeah, of course. Even even today, if I need to do a slightly higher res type image, that's that's more a macro shot. Then I'll yeah. either rent or borrow a camera to for that yeah. specific need. So I think every camera ha and every piece of equipment has its place. But I'm not too caught up in having to own everything. Yeah that I use. I'm just happy with one one camera and one lens and yeah. And that's that's where it goes. And it's interesting that you um well it it sort of has that comfort level, that connection for you. I mean you you said it feels the same as your your Leica that you're so attached to. Yes. It's a nice you know, it's that relationship almost. Yes, it is. Does that um does that sort of do you feel that it affects the work that you create? That having that relationship with your your camera, your sort of piece of tech that you're carrying around? I think so. I think subconsciously yeah. it feels like part of you. Yeah. Where it's, you're not messing with big lenses yeah. and dials and, and it's lights not a and all of that type of thing. It just, mm. it just kind of feels right. Yeah. And I would say it's my favorite photographers and works of all time are all done on 
small cameras mm -hmm. on Leica's pretty much so. This is Ormsair, and I'm your host, Rachel Reeves. Don't forget that subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app is the quickest and easiest way to give us a long-distance high-five and to let us know that you enjoy hanging out in our creative space. Um, so I feel like we've, we've mentioned smartphone cameras, and I actually wanted to use that as a jumping-off point to go on to talk about um, Life Under Democracy. Okay. Which is the series that... Um, you won, am I correct in saying that you, be, the Under Democracy series was the the series with which you won the inaugural Ernest Cole yes, that's award correct. for? Yes. Okay, great. So in case you're not aware of what the Ernest Cole Award is for, um, it is one of the most prestigious prizes for social do documentary photography within South Africa. Um, it was named after very famous documentary photographer Ernest Cole. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes about him. Um, and the purpose of the award is to support um, the realization of a significant body of work that the receiver has been engaged with. So, Dale, you won this this inaugural award of this in 2012 for your Under Democracy series. Yes. Um, sorry, Life Under Democracy. Life Under Democracy. Life Under Democracy, my apologies. Um, couldn't, can we speak about the series? Would you like to tell us more about it? Yes, have you got three or four days? Yes. Great. Everybody prepare. Grab some snacks. Well, let me try and get to the the most interesting parts of it because it was a, a very, very intense journey. Yeah. Uh, starting out, the call came for the Ernest Cole mm. entries. Yeah. Which I, which I saw. I've I kind of stopped entering competitions and photo contests and stuff uh, quite a while ago, but this yeah. felt quite exciting. Yeah. That's, that it was based on Ernest Cole's work and, and his name. And the people behind the award were David Goldblatt's mm. and UCT was involved as well. Yeah. I don't know mm. if I decided, but at the, at the actual time of this competition coming around, yeah. I had just gotten myself the iPhone 4, yeah. which was also quite exciting. Yes. Because it had a very nice camera on it, although looking back on it now, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very, very lame. It's sort of, it's sort of um, in on par with like a 3310, I feel. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, at, at the time, yeah. it, it felt like this is like super technology, yes, and it actually was for the time. And I started photographing, a friend of mine in LA had the same phone, and he was using the Hipstamatic app, mm -hmm. and I started playing with that, and it just it felt like so much fun. Yeah shooting on a square format, intense colors. Mm. It just felt different to what I was doing before. Yeah. And then after experimenting for a month or so, I decided, well, maybe I should try and and, and do something with, with the phone rather than, than with just like a regular camera. Yeah. So I spent quite a bit of time around Heart Bay thinking about the award mm -hmm. entry, started photographing with it. I came up with, I think it was about 20 photographs Mm -hmm. that's, that kind of connected with the theme of Ernest Cole. Yeah. And I thought, well, let me just enter this just for the hell of it. Yeah. And a couple of months later, I got this call, which was probably like the highlight of my career, that yeah. I'd, I'd won this award. And then that's when the pressure started, trying to figure out like what, what was going to happen next. Yeah. But it was, a, it was an amazing journey. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, I, I can imagine the the change from 
sort of camera that you're used to to iPhone, that limitation, but also that sort of freedom within this new medium, this new format. It must be quite exciting, but also, like you said, quite a, um, a pressure. Yeah, so it's a bit of pressure, technical pressure, and also yeah. by winning the award, I had to produce a series yes, of, of pictures yeah. within sort of eight months that really spoke about our social and political situation. Mm. And which is not easy. Which which is not not too not too uh, easy to do. Yeah. And what I did was just for a bit of extra punishment, I decided instead of just focusing on one issue that South Africa has with its uh, environmental or political, whatever the case is, I decided I'm going to take on the whole Mm. uh, series of looking at life under democracy. And that kind of spun off from Ernest Cole's book, which was The House of Bondage, which was a look at life under apartheid. Mm, Yeah. So within that decision of of taking on such a big subject matter, yeah. I really had to push myself every day, photographing, thinking, traveling to yeah. to get the kind of work and the images that would eventually be published and shown in an exhibition. And um, published. So you you have a book, and the series is in a collection. Well, the collection is in a book format. Yes. Yes. Is it still available? Unfortunately not. No. I, in fact, I don't know if you've seen it, but I brought, no, I haven't I, seen... I brought a copy of it with me. Okay, cool. Yes. Uh, what happened was the Ernest Cole Foundation in mm-hmm. connection with UCT got a publisher on board mm-hmm. and they published 600 copies of the book, Okay. which uh, is another story. We won't go into any of those yeah. details, <laughs> but the book came out and yeah. sold out within a month or two which was very nice, but yeah. unfortunately there was no rerun or any plans for a rerun. Okay. So the book's not, not available. I did see one on eBay for about $10,000. Yeah, of course, it's a but, rarity uh, now. Yeah, but I'm, I am hoping to republish the, the book at some point yeah. with a different publisher, and uh, I, think, I think that would be great. I mean, I do, I do feel that it is still prevalent today. I mean, it's still, the work still sort of speaks to maybe not current issues, but it does, you know, tie in. And I think the, the feeling that you feel when you when you view the collection, I obviously haven't seen the full collection because, like you said, the full collection isn't available online. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. Yeah, there, so the, there are, I think on my website I have about 80 photographs, yeah. which form part, which is also quite a lot, form part of the exhibition which travelled yeah. to Durban, Johannesburg, uh, art gallery and then it showed in Cape Town so it was three different venues yeah. and I must say just in terms of that whole exhibition Orms were just incredible with their support in Great. in yeah. uh, sponsoring half of the framing and we did the printing as well here so it was just a very very one of the yeah. many things that uh, Mike has done to to help with projects like this. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that is very much one of his passions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It sort of ties in with the whole, I mean, Dale and I were speaking about this earlier. Um, I don't know if, if all of our listeners are aware, but uh, Mike, who's the owner of Orms, and the sort of, I, I would say the father of Orms, really, um, he started it in his garage um, 23 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, 23 years ago. And Dale actually was a customer 
or a client of, of Mike's when Mike was first starting out. So he has quite a long running his relationship with Orms itself. But I yeah, didn't know. I, yeah, incredible yeah. Um, just to see the progress of, yeah. of, of where Orms has gone, where Mike has taken this mm. business. I wish I had like just 10% of his business plan. <laughs> I think I'd be doing okay. But, uh, you know, for, especially for the art world, I know there's different mm. sections, but I just the level of service and the expertise that come with and, and, and generally the people that, that work at Orms, I know this sounds like a plug, but I, <laughs> I don't we're care. Not, but uh, we're not paying him, I We have, uh, uh, there are just some incredible people working yeah. in different sections of Orms that, that, that know this stuff and yeah, completely. Um, it's just a, a real pleasure. There's, there's passion within every single part. Yeah. Like that's, I think, yeah, exactly. It. Um, but uh, saying that, there's also yeah. a lot of other avenues of uh, I have to sort of deal with when it comes to producing my work because yes, of course. I like to do other things besides still images, yeah. whether it's video mm -hmm. or interactive uh, type of pieces. So there's a lot of different people that I have to work with yes, in the city. Yeah. But in terms of the photographic mm. part of things, whether it's buying a new piece of equipment, piece of equipment or yeah. framing or yeah. flatbed printing, it's, mm. you know, it's all here. Mm. So it's, I'm think, very, very grateful for that. Yeah, well, I think that is, I think, yeah, we don't, we're not, we're not joking when we say one stop, you know, sort of photographic world. That's, yeah. that's Orms in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Okay, so life under democracy. Yeah. I'd very much like to continue talking about that. Um, because obviously you, like you said, you shot that on your iPhone 4. iPhone yes. 4, yes? Okay. So um, obviously using this sort of technology, so you were um, sort of comfortable shooting on a DSLR. Was it a DSLR at that time that you were using? No, it so wasn't actually. I think it was a small little point-and-shoot Canon. Okay. Okay, cool. Also, also digital. Yeah. The phone was the phone was fun. I mean, yeah. that's really what it came down to. It was different. I started shooting in the square format, which yeah. I'd done many years ago, but I was suddenly like looking at things a little bit differently mm. just by changing the frame, Yeah. The, the shape of the frame. And then just, I think it comes down to the energy that, that was getting fed to me yeah, completely. through having the opportunity to to now work on this series of images mm. and i really just went all out to to kind of make it happen yeah was it quite a was it quite a jump from i mean you were, so you said you were shooting on a point and shoot was it quite a jump from that to smartphone just um in your ability to sort of not take up so much space and when i say that i mean sort of um not not threaten but almost make people feel uncomfortable because i feel I mean, I know personally when somebody puts a camera in my face, I instantly don't know which way is left or right, and I don't know what my face is doing, and I feel yeah, uncomfortable sure. a bit. Yeah. But do you think that there's a difference, um, or did you experience a difference between using your camera versus using a smartphone? There were definitely moments, and there's pictures in mm. the book and, and online that I feel like I probably wouldn't have got if I had been carrying a, a, yeah. a bigger camera around, an yeah. SLR. Although I've never really had that problem with even with SLRs to, or any kind of camera to, mm. to interact with people. Okay. Because I'm, I'm the kind of person that doesn't want to just push my way in somewhere and yeah. 
Uh, so generally my equipment, but I still, again, still have, I've always used smaller cameras. Yeah. Um, it's always kind of worked worked for me, especially in the, in the streets yeah. genre and social documentary. But there were, there were a lot of times, many times, that the, the, the smallness of the phone and and was just wasn't a threat to people that I was photographing. It was just yeah. kind of easy. And sort of the portability as well. Well, not that you would have problems port like carrying around a smaller camera. Yeah, I mean there were some technical things to get over. Um, I, I used a little hand grip from a some old movie camera just mm -hmm. to kind of steady the phone. So okay, there were, so there were definitely a lot of limitations, you know, when it came to low lighting yeah. and things like that that I had to figure out. Yeah. But uh, generally, the phone, the phone worked well. Mm. Oh, I mean, you can see within the, I mean, the images that we're able to see online, you can see, that, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, I think. Yeah, so. well, the one thing is the quality. Obviously, I couldn't blow these things up to, like, mural yes. size, yeah. which was fine because I, I'm, I do like big prints sometimes, but generally I don't. Yeah. I prefer sort of more intimate type of pictures. Yeah. Everything has its place, but you know, when in the old days growing up with with images, it was always sort of eight by ten or sixteen by twenty mm. was quite a big print. Yeah. Whereas because of the technology changing and so much easier and cheaper to to make big prints, everyone's making big prints. Yeah, exactly. So I think we settled on a size of about thirty six by thirty six centimeters, okay. which still look great coming from that phone mm. and I wasn't sacrificing any sort of quality there yeah and obviously through my knowledge of Photoshop of just getting everything right in terms of color and yeah. the the files were quite quite well processed mm -hmm. in order to get those that kind of quality yeah but I think it is also quite interesting with the um, with the shift in which you you sort of um, experience images these days i mean i find that that a lot of people are viewing them online and i think online it, there's a there's a very thin line or fine line between knowing you know what sort of machine or what sort of gear was used to make a photograph yeah so i think yeah so i mean obviously now i could take a, a an incredible image on my cell phone and no one would be able to tell it was taken on a cell phone unless obviously you sort of dig and but yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, but I've always believed that it's not yeah. really about the equipment anyway. Mm, mm, there, are, there are some pluses to the using the phone on, say, a project like that. Yeah. But uh, it always comes back to the ideas and mm. how the photographer sort of processes the moment and yeah, how he sees the world really is really what counts when yeah. it comes to to image making. Yes, exactly. But it, it, it is interesting delving into all these technologies and and exploring them. So yeah. it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I can imagine. But a lot of a lot of work as well. I think mm. uh, one of the things that I really try and do is, is is spend a lot of time. Although I had a deadline with this particular project, mm -hmm. but I still managed to shoot around twenty eight thousand photographs in oh, wow. in a matter of like nine yeah. or ten months. Yeah. So the editing process, which is, I don't know if you want to talk yes. about that, yes. is, is yeah. quite a critical part of the whole process, mm -hmm. not just in this Life and Democracy project, but just in general. Yeah. And I read um, of a, 
photographer Robert Frank, mm -hmm. who most photographers out there would know, did a famous series called The Americans, okay, yeah. which is probably one of the, the most popular books out there. Yeah. He also shot around 28,000 photographs during a two, three year period, mm -hmm. all on film, yeah. and eventually ended up, I think, using about 80 or 90 in his final book that's become a classic. So how, how do you decide what goes in, what doesn't? Where is the, the line? It's just a process. It's yeah. looking, thinking. I think every application has a different thought process, yeah. which I had to do in conjunction with, with everything else at the same time, which made yeah. it even more more challenging was I had to create a book, I had to create an exhibition, yeah. which are two very different kinds of things. And it just took a lot of thoughts, a lot of deleting, a lot of, mm. and sometimes collaboration and, and opinions from other photographers yeah. or other friends who, whose opinion that I value. Yeah. And I think just paring it down and I kind of, when it comes to editing, I use the word ruthless. Mm. And I think that's a great word to think about when, you, when you're looking at a body of work and you want to try and, and simplify yeah. and just get it down to the, the very core of the message that you're trying to portray. Yeah, I, I suppose that is completely it. You just have to keep focused on your intention. Yes. Yeah. Like with everything else. Yeah, completely. I mean, sometimes it's very difficult to do. But were there were there moments within that um, process where you sort of may have turned around and be like, oh, no, 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 that's not one. I'm sorry, like I shouldn't have deleted that or that one should have stayed. Were there any moments where you sort of had doubts about your choices within your selection? Not, not really. There were, there were some very tough choices to make, even yeah. going down from 28,000. Yeah. Um, I think. My first edit, I got down to about 2,000. Wow. Of pictures so, that I kind of liked. When you say ruthless, you're not you're not. Yeah, joking. but then from 2,000, okay. I had to yeah. go even further than that. Obviously, there were some multiple images, so when you come across a certain situation, you're mm -hmm. going to photograph 10 or maybe more images from different angles. And yeah, that. of course. So there is a little bit of... Uh, duplication there, but uh, it was quite tough. I mean, it probably ended up with about 30 images that I really liked mm. a lot that I had to be left out of the book. And there yeah. were some other images that for political reasons I was advised to, to leave out, which okay, yeah. really didn't uh, make me very happy. Yeah, I know, I can imagine. Uh, but generally speaking, I look at the book today and I don't go back to it that often, but I did take a look at it uh, a few weeks ago and I was, I actually enjoyed it, yeah. having left it for a number of years and then sort of going back and revisiting and, and kind of re-looking at my pro thought process, wondering how does it live up to how I'm thinking today because yeah. as we get older and as time moves on, we, we think about things in a slightly different way, mm, yeah. hopefully, otherwise we're not growing. Yeah, otherwise you're And I, was, I, I must say I was quite satisfied with the choices under a lot of pressure that I made in terms of the flow of the book, in terms of the images that I chose. Yeah. And it wasn't just a regular type of book either. It, it needed a lot of uh, interplay between the, the different aspects that I, that I try to portray. Yeah. And also bring in into a 
sort of spotlight was including Ernest Cole or memory of mm -hmm. Ernest Cole in in that series. Yeah. So I made a point of going to Mamelodi just outside of Johannesburg on, mm -hmm. on, on the same trip and met up with part of his family. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, photographed some of them, photographed his house. So some of those pictures appear in the book, some of them don't. Mm. But uh, meeting certain people that he knew when he was still alive, yeah. re-photographed him. In fact, there's one classic image that Ernest Cole had made of a teenager studying by candlelight, mm -hmm. which was in his original book, House of Bondage. Yeah. And I got to meet that kid sort of 40 years later, who's a guitar teacher oh, wow. in Mamelodi, yeah. and photographed him 40 years later. So there were all these incredible connections of making it feel quite real. Yeah. I look back and wonder how, how crazy I was to take on such a big, uh, yeah, cause it such is. a big subject matter because yeah. you know, politics is very complicated and South Africa is very complicated. Yeah. And obviously I can't uh, comment about every last thing, but I think I did quite a good job of, of satisfying myself of the yeah. kind of things that were, were I was thinking about at the time and also reliving some of the things that I photographed in the 80s. So there was this mm. backwards and forwards of Ernest Cole's time, of my time in South Africa before I left yeah. for uh, Los Angeles and then mm -hmm. coming back. So I went and revisited areas that I had photographed in the 80s yeah. and found similar things 30 years later. So it was just a very interesting time. But that must be completely crazy. You know, you think you would think that you've, you've left at this pinnacle and you've returned and, and like you said, things, some things are still the same. Yeah. So the, the, I think the title of the book sort of summed it up for me at the yeah. time was that no matter what system you you're living under, yeah. you, you're always living under some sort exactly, of system. Yeah. So as, as great as democracy is, and I'm so grateful that we have a, mm. a so-called democracy in South Africa, there's still the rules and yeah. the elements that, that people have to adhere to. There is still control. So there's still control. Yeah. Most of it is for the good, I would say, but mm. generally there's still a lot of things that need to change and a lot of attitudes and yeah. questions that need to be answered but it's an ongoing process thank you everybody for joining us in conversation just a reminder that this is part one of the interview that we did with del Uderman. if you'd like to check out part two head on over to part two now thank you for joining us for this episode of orms air the orms podcast i hope you've enjoyed being a part of the conversation as much as we've enjoyed having you if you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for us, please get in touch by emailing ormsair at orms.co.za. Head on over to ormsair.buzzsprout.com and take a peek at this week's show notes for more information on any works referenced or topics discussed in this week's episode. If you've enjoyed this episode of Orms Air and feel that someone you know could be creatively enriched by joining us in conversation, why not share this episode with them and invite them to join our photographic community? Until next week, keep questioning, keep inspiring, and above all, keep creating.